0: I'm Rob, and I'm Nate, and welcome to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. Uh, Today's episode, we are going to be talking about the 2011 film, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which we watched uh, today. Um, We just
1: watched it, and we're going to talk about it very loudly. Extremely
0: loud and incredibly close after viewing. I see. It took me a second to catch on to that one. Um, Nate, this is your first time seeing this film, right? It is. Yeah. I've watched it a few times. I watched it uh, the year it came out. This was my favorite for Best Picture uh, at the 2012 Oscars. Of course, this was released in 2011 uh, for the 2012 Oscars. This was my pick for Best Picture. And also, I have very strong feelings about the fact that Max von Sydow should have won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor that year, uh, which ultimately went to Christopher went to the, Plummer.
1: Yeah, went to, Yeah, and the Best... Uh, the Best Picture winner that
0: year went to The Artist, which, which is I still a haven't bit seen. A, and it's, it's a little bit have, of a, bli- a bleep, a blip. I still haven't seen, and I still have pretty much no motivation yeah, to see. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame
1: you. I, I enjoyed it, but I don't think it's aged very well as an Oscar winner. I, I don't think it was one for the ages. Yeah. My favorite film of the Oscar nominees that year would have definitely been uh, the Alexander Payne film, The Descendants.
0: Um, so on your first viewing, what did, I mean, granted, we just finished this, and mm-hmm. this is kind of a film that, as you and I have already discussed, requires a little bit of digest, digestion. Yeah,
1: so I I, I am going to have to digest this, and um, so a lot of this is, is first impressions. I came in not expecting to like this film, uh, and for why a couple is reasons, that? A couple reasons. So uh, I read a number of years ago uh, that of all the Best Picture nominated movies, that this had the lowest Rotten Tomato score of any Best Picture nominee. Okay. At the time the film the it got its nomination, it had like a 51 52 and now it's down to a 46 because there's later you know reviews hmm. for the DVD and the other market that came out yeah. subsequently. And I can see why this would be a, a film that would divide people. yeah. Uh, I feel that it's really a mixed bag of the film. It is based on a 2005 novel by the same name by a man named Jonathan Safran Foyer. I'm probably mispronouncing that. He also wrote a book that was adapted into a movie called Everything is Illuminated. Mm -hmm. Now, I've read neither of the books. I've, I've not read Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close or Everything is Illuminated. I really disliked Everything is Illuminated. I thought it was way too cutesy. It's a story about a man played by Elijah Wood, who goes to Europe to kind of track down what happened to, I think, his grandparents in the Holocaust. Uh But it had this kind of light mystical motif, which this film does, especially towards the beginning. It's kind of this playful child's perspective, fantasy. It's a game. And it's a little similar to the reaction I had with uh, Rain Over Me, where I'm very—and I don't know entirely why it is. It's it's not that I have a particular 9-11 thing— but when you take a different storyline that's not necessarily a 9-11 storyline and then you impose it on 9-11, I'm suspicious of that on a certain level. And I'm, I'm not immediately open to it. Okay. And that really affected the way I came into this film. And I, I did not care for the early part of the film. I, th- I think it, it improved as it went on. But I, I, ha- I have very mixed feelings about this film.
0: Any other reasons you were prone to dislike it going into it, or it's mostly just no, based on most, what you've heard about it? No, mostly
1: based on my experience with the the author and and the
0: the surveys and the 9-11 thing. How would you say your first opinion of it? Like how how would you say your opinion of it has shifted after this first viewing? Well, again, this
1: is one I'm going to have to think about. Uh, so when I give my final rating on it, it very well could change after I've had a little more time to process it. It's a little gimmicky. It's a little cutesy. The kid, Thomas Horn. Thomas Horn. Uh, Thomas Horn has he like plays Oscar Shell. He's not an actor. And I kept thinking throughout that I wish someone of the caliber of a young Haley Joel Osment was in this part. And part of the reason that the performance didn't work for me is also part of the reason why the performance is arguably good. Because mm-hmm. this, this character is autistic, and so he's not reacting... Or Asperger's or Asperger's, or yeah. Like, so he's not reacting to things normally. Yeah. And so what may seem off about the performance may actually indicate a good performance of a character with this condition.
0: Yeah. And, and I thought his performance, you know, I mean... I guess let me look and see how old he was at the time. He's 22 now, so he'd have been around... 11. 11, 12, yeah. Well, 13 at the Mm. time this film came out. And they don't give an indication of what his age was in the film. Mm. Which Uh, is probably wise.
1: Yeah. Because the film probably spans, uh, part of it in a flashback, but uh, September 2001 to early
0: 2003. Yeah. For a kid of 13 to be on screen that much, you know, and all all of the intricacies of emotions he's got to display... and considering that it was supposed to be like a, a kid with autism or Asperger's, I thought his performance was, was decent. I wouldn't expect someone of that age to be able to carry a film in the way that he does. And he's really helped out a lot by the supporting yeah. actors and actresses mm-hmm. in this film. Um, I mentioned to Nate that it's really kind of impressive just how many names are in this film in supporting uh, character roles. You know, Tom Hanks, Sandra Bullock, Viola Davis. Uh, what was the other guy you mentioned? Uh, Jeffrey Wright. And then Max von Sydow. You know, it's, it's there's just a lot of really good actors in, and actresses in this film in supporting roles. And it would have been nothing without some of those performances.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of buoyed the kid up. The kid's okay. The kid has a few moments where he shines. But uh, the bulk of the performance, to me, registered mostly as, as just kind of okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's... There's a few disturbing images. We should yeah. probably talk about what the film's about. Yeah. So it starts out uh, th- uh, Thomas Shell, who's played by Tom Hanks, or Thomas Shell Jr., I guess, is a jeweler in New York, and he's uh, obviously a very attentive father. Uh, he has these games that he plays with his son to get his son to go out and talk to people because and explore his environment you know, and all yeah. this type of stuff. But most of the early shots are just him interacting with his father. You don't see Sandra Bullock a whole yeah. lot. And they, um, they call those, they call them what expeditions? I forget. Reco- Reconnaissance Expeditions. Yeah, yeah. And there's and the
1: elaborate to- game puzzle games that
0: his father creates for him Yeah. to get him out of his shell. Yep. And it requires him to interact with people and things like that. They print out business cards for him that have all the amateur things that he does, you know, so he can hand it to people and interdu- help introduce inventor, himself yeah, and all man. this type of stuff. Just real great interaction with him and Tom Hanks, but Tom Hanks is down for a meeting in the Twin Towers on 9-11 and is killed in on 9-11. Oscar Schell, uh, t- played by Thomas Horn, comes home and finds the messages from his father on the answering machine and to in an attempt to try and spare his family the, the pain of listening to those messages he replaces the answering machine with a, a brand new one that he's just recorded he, the outgoing message on he sneaks
1: out at night on september 11th goes to a radio shack finds an identical answering machine goes out and, and replaces it keeps the other answering machine and in hides kind it of a in a treasure covered yeah. with various mementos of his father to whom he was very close and just
0: kind of obsesses over his father yeah uh and then the inciting it's, incident... It's a little over a year after mm. September 11th. He goes into his father's closet one day, and he's he's trying to get a camera off of a shelf, and he knocks this blue vase off the shelf. And when the blue vase breaks on the floor, inside it is an envelope, and inside the envelope is a key. And so but on the envelope, there's the word black, or the yep, name black. The name black. And so Oscar uh, believes that this is a adventure that his father was setting up for him expedition and that this is a clue, reconnaissance expedition, you know, and he obsesses and, and fixates on this and decides I'm going to figure out what this key is to. And so he goes and meets with a, a locksmith trying to figure out what it is. That's when he finds out the name black is printed on the envelope. He's missed that up until he meets with the locksmith. And then he starts just looking up. He takes phone books and finds every black in the five okay, Yeah, and creates a plan and, and a map, you know, to go out and meet them. And start looking to see if he can find what this key goes to. 400
1: some odd blacks, which to me seems like there would be more people with that name in New York, but you know, that's, that's fine.
0: Yeah. Um, and so then he goes out on adventures on Saturdays and Sundays, looking for these people, trying to connect with them and trying to figure out what this key goes to. And eventually he does connect with the right person, uh, and finds out the key was never intended for him, um, that it was intended for somebody else. And this solves someone else's mystery but does nothing for Os- for Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, but he comes back and meets finally sits down and kind of meets with his mother. But intertwined in this entire story, his his grandmother lives apparently in the neighboring building across the street. Mm-hmm. And they have walkie-talkies that at various times he'll talk back and forth with his grandma. And his grandma has a quote-unquote renter living with her. And, and
1: the renter, start, uh, about three weeks after 9-11, and she hadn't let out this room previously, yeah. but three weeks after 9-11, all of a sudden, there's this old guy living there that uh, Oscar is not supposed to talk to or interact yeah. with.
0: and there's actually some kind of entertaining scenes, like he's over there taking piano lessons from his grandmother, and he's asking his grandmother questions about the renter, and at one point, she says to him, if you ever see him, don't talk to him, because he, he's really mean, and he's probably going to yell at you, or something like that, you know? <laughs> kind of creates this expectation. Even though he's mute. Yeah, well, that's I think that's kind of part of the point. Mm-hmm. Is just avoid those, avoid the interactions that will then cause um, Oscar to become more interested in this person. Mm. Um, but one night, Oscar's trying to get his grandmother on the walkie talkie, and there's an unexplained absence why his grandmother's not there. They never explain
1: why she's not there.
0: No. But all of a sudden, the renter's light starts flashing, and Oscar relatively quickly figures out that it's Morse code and starts interacting with the renter via Morse code. And then he takes it upon himself to cross the street again in the middle of the night one night and goes over to his grandmother's apartment lets himself in and meets meets the renter
1: who's Max von Sydow
0: yep played by Max von Sydow and that's his character or his uh, he's credited as the renter his credited role in the movie is the renter but his name in the movie is Thomas Shell Senior yeah and we find out
1: and I called it instantly the moment well, yeah. the moment it's like who else could this be this guy's the grandfather cuz we learned that Thomas uh Shell Junior one of the reasons he's such a great father is his father was not a part of his life. His father was uh, in Germany. He, something about Dresden, something that he's I ashamed of that was in, uh, in Dresden. And so he basically dropped out of his mother's life when he was like a newborn baby. And so he didn't know the father. And so he compensated by being very good to his son, Oscar. Yeah. And um, then, ironically, uh, we, we later find out that Thomas Sr. also lost his parents... And in a very the war, young age, yeah. So there's that similarity there, which is
0: interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great performance by Max von Sydow. He doesn't say a word as the renter. He comes, you know. He Oscar starts telling him that night that he comes over and meets him, tells him about this adventure he's been going on, and invites him to come with him, and tells him where to meet him. And he the first time they meet you know, for one of these adventures, he gives him a questionnaire with 15 questions and the rules of him coming along with. And uh, the renter starts accompanying Oscar on his adventures to try and find these people. And they have some interesting uh, conversations. Max, er, uh, The renter can only write down his responses and his questions on a piece of paper in a notebook and hold it up for Oscar to read. And Oscar vents and expresses himself verbally. The other inter- interesting part is the renter has tattooed on his... Left hand, the word yes, and his right hand, the word no. Mm. So for simple questions, he just holds his hand up Mm. uh, to answer the simple questions. But it's just a great performance by Max von Sydow. At one point, he decides that he's causing more pain than he is uh, providing benefit, and he just takes off again, you know, just grabs his suitcase and leaves. And um, that's kind of a, a touching scene as Oscar realizes that he's trying to leave and meets him at the taxi and yells facts about his father, which is the renter's son, as the taxi's driving him away. Eventually, Oscar writes a letter to everyone that he's met on his adventure, including Thomas Shell Sr., and actually asks him to come home. Um, And that was kind of a touching closing scene when the grandmother comes up the stairs and he's Mm -hmm. sitting by a suitcase at the top of the stairs. She walks past him without saying anything and then just sets the groceries down and keeps walking. You know, it's the cue for him to pick up the groceries and follow, and yeah. Um, but, I mean, this movie is more, I don't know, in my opinion, it's kind of more about the, the performances and the interactions than it is, per se, the, directly the storyline. Well,
1: well, what I came to realize this movie is about, I mean, on the surface, about 9-11. It's about dads. Yeah. It's about father-son relationships. Uh, there were three principal ones in it. Uh, the one... Well, between all three generations of uh, shells, mm-hmm. uh, and then Jeffrey Wright's character, we find out that the key has to do with his father, who he was semi-estranged from, and who died a few years prior, and Thomas Shell Jr., as a jeweler, was assisting with the estate sale, Yeah, and he had ended up in possession of a vase... Which he was going to use
0: as a a anniversary anniversary gift. Their anniversary was September fourteenth. He went to the estate sale, and it was essentially the guy says that he basically just gave him the vase. He didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't bother to sell
1: it or keep track of who he gave it to. And it turns out that in that vase was um, the key, uh, which uh, Oscar Oscar finds when he. When he drops, uh, when he breaks the, shatters the vase vase while looking through his father's stuff. Uh, There was a little bit, the the safety deposit box thing, it's like, I get why that's there and I get it's a necessary plot device, but I had a, my father passed away and we couldn't find the key to his safety deposit box, so the bank had to basically cut it open. Uh huh. So Jeffrey Wright didn't have to wait for the key. He could have gotten in another way, but for the purposes of the movie, Worked, yeah, and that little scene between Jeffrey Wright and the kid is one of a handful of really standout scenes in this film. That scene apparently took four days to film. Oh, really? Yeah, so that uh, the ones that I wrote down that I was really impressed with is the conversation on the phone between Sandra Bullock and Tom Hanks on 9 11. Yeah, that was, I mean, most of Sandra Bullock's acting in the movie was in that one scene. Ah, uh, the scene where um, Oscar is telling his grandfather about all the different uh, the blacks that he's met as he's gone through searching everybody in the five bureaus uh, with that name, and and how he's getting frustrated, and the scene where he tells the renter about the recordings. Oh yeah, uh, which he hadn't, you know, he he hid he this hasn't from told his mother. Anyone about them. Yeah. And by implication, they never in any scene in this film indicate that he ever tells his mother that he has these recordings. Yeah.
0: Possibly that's dealt with more in the book. But I kind of like the ambiguity of that. Yeah. Well, and the renter walks out before he can play... He plays him five of the six messages and just refuses to even hear any portion of the sixth one, just stands up and walks out, mm. you know, and says, I'm not. Even, I'm, I'm. done, mm. I'm not coming with you on your adventures anymore. Um, it, that was a very touching scene. But yeah, it was... It's a good... In my opinion, it's a good film. I am quite... Surprised by its rating on various platforms, you said it. You thought it had a less than fifty percent. It on has less tomatoes.
1: than. like forty-seven percent
0: on IMDb. It, it gets six point nine as its aggregate score. Mm-hmm. Um, six point nine out of ten stars, uh, with ninety six or ninety five thousand ratings. We also kind of talked a little bit um, off the recording about the box office numbers. IMDb is referencing that it had an estimated budget of forty million dollars. Um, and its worldwide gross was a little over 55 million. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the advertising type of things included, that's essentially just a break even, which for an Oscar nominated best film with a, such strong performances and big names, I'm quite surprised by those numbers. Mm-hmm. I'm quite surprised by its lackluster performance. Now that you've seen it, what do you think of the ratings versus and box office numbers? Versus what you might have thought if you'd seen this uh, contemporaneously. Well, it might be
1: interesting to go back and see what else was in the theaters around the time this came out, because that could very well be a factor. Uh, it came out around the 10th anniversary, and I don't know if that hurt it or helped it.
0: It came out a little bit after the anniversary. I don't remember exactly when it was released, um, but, it but it was been not,
1: late 2011.
0: It was late 2011. It was not done in time to come out for the anniversary of 9 mm-hmm. 11. And I don't know if people were w-
1: wanted something like this at that time or didn't want something like this at that time. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, one of the things that I ha- had thought about this as well is, and we dis- had also discussed that, uh, I think we may have already discussed that on this recording, just the issues I have with the nine eleven 11 in a film. Yeah, I believe we did discuss that.
0: I mean, you can talk more about that I,
1: no i i mean i i I feel it, but I don't have it completely verbalized like like what it is, I don't know if I could completely verbalize, but there's something about that that just seems a little exploitive, and I'm just like I'm not instantly open to it I put I
0: put up a guard, yeah um one thing that kind of stands out to me about this film is it seems like there is a fair amount of things that they filmed that are left on the cutting room floor it
1: does have the feeling that there'd be Um, some interesting deleted scenes well
0: but then i also learned that james Gandolfini filmed an entire uh, role for this movie that was entirely cut out because it was negatively uh, had a negative reception on um early screenings Mm -hmm. so knowing that there's clearly more Mm -hmm. well we we learned that that he
1: played a grief counselor that was working with sandra bullock Uh, And I think that's a wise cut, even not having not seen the scenes that that would have just slowed it down. Yeah. Uh, The extent of what we get of Sandra Bullock is all directly related to the sun. Because it is that son's story, other than the the moment between them when they're talking on the phone on 9-11, which I'm glad is in there. But uh, I don't think the Greek counselor stuff would have added anything to this film.
0: No, but I get the impression that even with the characters that we do experience, that there's more that was left on the cutting room floor. Um, I feel like there were some that was left on the cutting room floor or woven in at a different point with Sandra Bullock having discovered uh oscars adventure that he's going yeah, on. yeah there's that thing at the end they end up weaving it in at the end as her saying i've known about this i've been aware of this i've been doing this ahead of you it's like
1: in a caper film where you where they show the one thing they're like oh this was going on in the background the whole
0: time and they go yeah. back and they show that she was aware of what he was doing i on think we can probably filmed and intended to be inserted kind of as it went in the film Along no, with some other so. with some other plot lines, I, I think the intent was for it to be kind of the the reveal at the end. And again, neither one of us has read the book, so yeah. we don't actually yeah, we, know it's, this. It's true, mm-hmm. um, but I, I feel like there was just more missing with that. And you only get interact certain interactions with with Oscar and the people that he's going out and meeting. I think that's probably good. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Viola Davis one and a couple Viola of the other people. Davis is good in this; she's always yeah. good in it. Well, and she ends up coming back into it. And this is the year of the help, right? yeah, which Same really year. established her. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film. I don't think it's, you know, by any means a perfect film or a you know, over the top high rated film. Mm-hmm. I think it was a strong contender for Best Picture in two thousand twelve, or in my mind it was, it should have been a strong contender. Um, I there's still a couple that I haven't seen from that year, including The Descendants. Um, I'm not saying it necessarily should have won Best Picture, but that was my vote in two thousand twelve. But again, and I've mentioned this multiple times, Max von Sydow should have won the best Oscar. It'd be interesting best to see actor Oscar. Christopher
1: Plummer's performance uh, that he won for, which you were saying had been a part that... Max S- von Sydow turned was up down for that it. role.
0: Yeah, and he turned it down. Yeah. And well, I wonder how he feels part, about that, or how he felt about that. Yeah. And Christopher Plummer ended up winning it for that role. So it'll be interesting. I I feel like there was probably also a little bit of Max von Sydow's performance left on the cutting room floor. Mm. Um, I don't see how it could have added much more, you know, in the final final edit. But I feel like there was some that was left on the cutting room floor. Um, again, you've mentioned that this is a film you kind of need to process, but for the sake of the podcast, mm. at this point, what? How would you rate this film?
1: Two to two and a half stars.
0: Yeah, probably five or six on a on a, on ten, star a scale. ten star scale. Huh, I thought you might have liked it a little bit more than that. I'd say this is a solid three-star film on the four-star scale, and on the ten-star scale, for me, this is somewhere between a seven and an eight. I, You know, you could convince me it's a seven, you could convince me it's an eight, but right in that range. But again, it's a film you probably ought to see just for Max von Sydow's performance, yeah. if nothing mm. else. Yeah. Tom Hanks is, has a beautiful you know, little role at the beginning of the film. He's outside of the first, what, half hour of the film. He's not He's in it gone. at all. Yeah, mm his uh-huh. voice occasionally. Yeah.
1: And Sandra Bullock has a moment or two that, oh, yeah. that is good. Uh, one thing that uh, struck me as amusing is that his name is Oscar and his parents are Academy Award winners. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. As is his grandparents. So, you know, he has a lot to live up to. Yeah. Though this this kid isn't in, like, anything. Like, he did this in some, like, a space camp movie. Yeah. And he was on Jeopardy, we learned. Yeah. And, uh... So I think that's probably best. I don't think this kid's really an actor. Uh, He was satisfactory for this performance. He had a few moments that I thought were really strong. Uh, I thought this whole movie had a few moments that really worked. But the underlying concept of it, the the gimmicky nature of it, just kind of turned me off.
0: Well, good. Anything else you want to say about this film? No. Cool. Well, I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. This is Rob and Nate Record-A-Podcast.